Good day, Mr. Hunt. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to deliver water to Steve Allen at DRL. Make sure he's not parched. Where have you been? Well, I had to do a little skydiving and breaking into the building, defusing a bomb, you know, that sort of thing. Here's that was water. incredible. Hey, I know Tom Cruise does his own stunts. Did you do all those? I did all of my own stunts. Dude, that was awesome. All of them. That was so cool. Thanks for the water, though. You're welcome. That's great. And, you know, you know, for those of you watching, I mean, how often do you get water delivered like that? You know, we've been going through the book of Philippians and looking at what does God have, you know, as Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And, and you know, as you look at this year, I'm going to venture to guess that 2020 is not turning out like you hoped. I'm going to venture to guess that May and June probably are not turning out like you hoped. But the question is, is your life turning out like you hoped? I, I know for me, I go back to, you know, one season of my life in 1990, where I, I honestly, I would answer, you know, it's not. And the reason why is infertility stinks. It, it really does. Every month, you know, just longing to know that my wife's pregnant, to start our family, and it just didn't happen. And, you know, it went month after month, one year, two years, three years, and, you know, in the middle of it, we're just like, I, I just don't understand why this is happening. And sometimes, like now, I look back and I'd be like, I get it. I see the good that came out of that season. And I, and I think God re really saw something that I didn't see. What I didn't see at that time is that's the season that God was putting adoption on our heart. God was putting missions on our heart. He was putting full-time ministry on our heart. He was putting short-term mission trips on our heart. It really was a transformational time in our life. And, you know, as, as we look through Scripture, it's the same thing as we look at this book. There's times, you know, in Scripture that certain men and women, they saw what God was doing. And other times, you know, you look at, at some of these, these people and it's like, they just didn't see it. Paul, though saw it. He really did. And that's the passage we're going to look at today in Philippians 1, verses 12 to 19. 
Because, you know, this passage, I really believe it applies to all of us today. Or at least it should. Because, you know, as we look at this passage, you know, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. You know, this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. You know, it's his encouragement, but he's writing it from prison. And so as we look at God's word, let's take a look and see what it says. And then we're going to look at, hey, what's that mean for you today? So beginning in verse 12, this is what Paul writes. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. I know this, this is an incredible passage. As, you know, as we go through this, there's one line in here you know, I just want to spend a little bit of time on today. It says in verse 12 that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. You know, a lot of times when I read scripture, one of the things I like to do is I, I like to, to read other translations coming from the same original text. But, you know, that line that what has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. In the New King, King James Version, it says, for the furtherance of the gospel. In the NIV, it says, to advance the gospel. So the question is, why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal? This passage for you today. And you know, people, can I, can I just speak openly and honestly with you? I just want to speak honestly with you. You know, when, when I was a teacher, you know, I taught 20 some years of high school English. You know, a lot of times I would ask the kids, hey, do you want to hear my teacher answer? Or do you want to hear my real answer? Like when we were talking about relationships with Romeo and Juliet and family with To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, and things like that, you know, I, I would preface some of the things, you know, with that, that here's my real answer. And as we look at this today, I want to give you my real answer. I want to challenge you a little bit and stretch you a little bit, you know, as we look at God's word. So here's the question based off verse 12. When bad things happen, do you tend to look inward to yourself or upward to God? Do you tend to look inward or do you tend to look upward? You know, and it's really a question of what's your perspective? Do you have an eternal perspective? Back in 1990, at that moment, I really didn't. I didn't see beyond the circumstance that I was in. And, you know, as we look at Paul, 
You know, Paul's writing this from prison. Paul's been beaten. He's been tortured, shipwrecked, stoned, imprisoned. But he says these things have served to advance the gospel. And then he says, even the whole palace guard knows that he's there for Christ. You know, in this palace guard, this is the praetorian guard. This is the select. These are like the Navy SEALs of, of the Roman guards, handpicked, eight to 10,000 of them by the Caesar to protect him. And they know that Paul, who was once a murderer of Christians, is now in prison because of Christ, because of preaching the gospel. You know, and Paul had an eternal perspective. You know, I, I love that phrase, advance the gospel. As, as I look at it, you know, you go back to the origins of that word, and it paints this picture of a pioneer cutting brush, forging a path to advance the gospel. And that's what Paul was doing. I can just picture Paul, you know, chopping and, and you know, knocking down brush, you know, and even today that we're kind of the fruit of some of that labor that Paul had. You know, the question for Paul, is it more important that the gospel is advanced or more important for him to be comfortable or even to be free? And for him, it's about the gospel advancing. And so that question for us today, would we, see this, would we say the same thing? That it's more important that the gospel is advanced. You know, these last three months, I, I, they've been hard for everybody. You know, this whole COVID season, you know, and it, as you look at social media and the news and, you know, all these places, you hear all sorts of comments. People saying, this isn't fair. That isn't good. This isn't fair. The numbers don't add up. This is wrong. This is wrong. Look at this. And, you know, it's one of those, I, I get why they're saying that, but what if, what if this season was advancing the gospel? Would you have a different perspective on it when you face those hard times? Because it really is hard. And so, you know, today I wanna, I wanna challenge you about what your perspective is. What is it that drives you? What is it that motivates you? What is it? You know, for me, one of the times that really uh, just kind of expose what it is that drives and motivates me. It was on this trip I took to China in 2009. And, you know, I've, I've been there, you know, several times. And I had a chance to meet uh, a house church pastor. And so we went to this Chinese apartment building. And, you know, in China, the apartments, they look like dominoes. They really do one after another. And so we went up into this apartment. And it looked just like every other Chinese apartment I've ever been in. Tile floor, a hot plate in the kitchen, squat pot in the bathroom, really simple. And there's about five or six of us there. And after we'd been there for a few minutes, there's a light tapping on the door. And, you know, my host, he opens the door and this man comes walking in. And, you know, this man's gotta be about 75 years old. And he comes in and he sits on the floor. And, you know, I'm sitting on this couch. And so I asked him, I said, no, sit here, sit here. This is all, you know, through our translator. And then he, he says, I can't. For the last 12, 13 years, I've been in prison because of preaching the gospel. And all I can do is sit on the floor. And then he unpacks this story 
of what life in prison was and how the gospel was spread throughout this prison. And at the end of the night, I asked him this question, Pastor Z. You know, as I'm sitting there, I said, Pastor Z, I said, how can we as the Western church, how can we pray for the Chinese church? And, you know, Pastor Z, he's sitting on the floor and he's just sat there for a minute or two, just silent. And then he goes, I'll never forget these words. He said, don't pray the persecution ends. He goes, pray that we would endure it because that's what's made the church strong. We're convicted and compelled about the things of the gospel because of that. He goes, actually, we're praying that the Western church would face persecution, that it would strengthen the church. It would make you more convicted about the things in this book because you've gone through a hard time. Because you've gone through the hard time. You know, it reminds me of the story of the silversmith. You know, the silversmith, you know, he's heating up this silver, you know, ore in his crucible and his grandson's watching him as he's heating it up and the dross is falling off and the grandson says, Papa, how do you know when it's done? And the grandfather looks down and he says, you know, Sonny, you know it's done when you can see your reflection in it. When you can see your reflection in it, it's done. And you know, that's kind of the same thing with us. God wants to see his reflection in us. He wants to see his reflection. He wants to begin to burn off those impurities. You know, he talks about the refiner's fire, about changing us. And sometimes it's taken us through hard times that does that. And for Paul, it was the same thing. He wanted to go to Rome, but Paul wanted to go as a preacher, not a prisoner. He wanted to go as a preacher, and he did. He just did it in a way that he didn't imagine. You know, as, as we look at Scripture so often, I think of, you know, how many times on social media and people's houses, you know, I see Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I love that verse, just like so many of you do. But sometimes when I look at that verse, I think, God, I'm not sure whose plan I want. If I want yours or I want mine. And much too often I realize I want mine. And, you know, as I look at Scripture, I just think, God, I want to I learn to surrender those things. I want to learn to die to myself. I want to learn to crucify myself so that I can become more like God, that those desires I have, that would, they would become God's desires. You know, the problem I have is I try to pursue those things is my flesh keeps coming back to life. But you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and the same thing. God, help me surrender to you today. And what it is, it's really about starting with a biblical worldview. That's what the issue is. It's not about the circumstance or things like that. It's about, do I have a biblical worldview? And what that means is, do I filter things through Scripture? That this book is my filter. When I look at my job and my family and my friends and what I watch and what I do, 
Do I have a biblical worldview? How I view obstacles, how I view you know, meetings and conversations and those things. So the question for you, do you have a biblical worldview? And what does that mean? You know, does that mean you have to sell everything and go follow him? It might. Does that mean you have to move to another country and go share the gospel over there? It might. Does that mean you have to live in the same neighborhood with the same job, doing what you've been doing, but do it with a different worldview? It might. Because the thing is, it's not about your circumstance. It's about your heart. It's not about your circumstance. It's about your heart. You know, I, I found this about a month ago on our um, Facebook page. I did an interview with Pastor John, our partner in the Philippines, just this humble servant. And somebody texted in a question for John. They said, hey, John, what's the view of the American church by the people in the Philippines? You know, and John really is a humble man. And he goes, it's really one word, comfortable. Comfortable. People, I don't want a comfortable life. That's not my goal. My goal isn't to get rid of all obstacles so I can arrive safely at death. That's not the goal. The goal of my life is not comfort, it's Christ. You know, it's like Karl Barth, the theologian said, he said, you know, comfort is the great siren of this age. What's that thing that lures us away from God's plan? And much too often, it's comfort. That we choose the things of the flesh over the things of the spirit. You know, even in China, they're talking about the church there that it survived communism. It survived persecution. But they're not sure if it's going to survive capitalism. You know, and it's a humbling thing to think about because as I read this book, it doesn't say, you know, follow Christ and everything's going to be easy. No, it says you're going to face trials and tribulations. But be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. You know, and it's even about sharing the gospel you know, I think if everything in this book is true, if I really believe this, if I know the last breath I take on earth, my next breath is going to be in heaven, shouldn't I be telling people about it? Shouldn't I be telling people about it? Because it's good news. It really is. It's good news. You know, for some of you watching this, you know, it's that question, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus. What about me? You know, and that's something that I want to, you know, begin to just have a little dialogue with you about. Because I know there's many of you out there, you're not followers of Jesus. We know this, um, you know, is going to get viewed hundreds and thousands of times. But, you know, for some of you out there that aren't followers, I want to talk to you specifically. Because, you know, so often when we think about this relationship with Jesus, you know, this is the thing that changes life. You, you know, for me, on Monday, I'm going in to have open heart surgery. And, you know, it's times like that that really begin to cause a person to take inventory of their life. It, it really does. Because, you know, when I look at it, I think there's no guarantee that Tuesday's coming. But here's what I know. 
I know what this book says. I know God's promises. That as I look at ancient manuscripts and I look at science, and when I look at archaeology, when I look at those things, it confirms that this book is true. And for those of you that aren't followers, I want to share a little bit with you. And I don't know if you're in your living room, in your car, you know, where you are watching this. You know, and that's not the part that really matters. For me, you know, I came to faith in the cafeteria at Central Valley High School. My wife came to faith at Joe Albee Stadium at a Billy Graham crusade. You know, here, here's what happened to me. You know, um, a, a man shared the gospel with me, Daryl Stavros. He was a volunteer football coach and a, a local pastor. And he shared the gospel and I put my faith in Jesus. And everything changed that day. Because here's what I know to be true. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to listen to this closely. Because today can be the day that changes everything. You know, there's a God in heaven that made you, that knows you. You know, it says he knit you together while you were still in the womb. He's the same God that put all the planets into motion, all the stars into place. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he was done, he said it was very good. It was very good. But then sin came into the story. Man wanted to do his own thing. And they sinned. And what happened is they broke relationship with God. You know, God designed people for relationship. And that sin separates it. And so the journey of people right now is how do I reconcile this relationship with God? And people all around the globe, every world religion, that's what they're trying to do. If you look at Islam, you look at Buddhism, you look at Hinduism, it's about reconciling with God. And what happens in these world religions, it's all about do, do, do. Do more. Do more good. If your good outweighs your bad, you're going to be okay. But that's not what this book says. It says you can't do enough good because God is holy. He doesn't want anything or let anything that's unrighteous into his presence. And scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. But God had a plan. Jesus came, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. You know, at Jesus' birth, it says his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. At the end of his life, Thomas, he goes, my Lord and my God. Jesus came. He walked this earth, a sinless, blameless life. You know, even when he was baptized, John the Baptist, who baptized him, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what Jesus did. He came, he lived this perfect life, and then he died on the cross. He died on the cross for you and me to reconcile this relationship. Like scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There had to be a price paid, a perfect sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did. He died 
for you. He died in our place. But then on Sunday, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He bridged that relationship with God. He died for you and for me, and he conquered death. He conquered your death. And that's the miracle of this story. That's what it means to follow Jesus. There's a perfect God, a broken relationship. Jesus is the bridge. And by faith, we can follow him. You know, in the book of Revelation, at the very last book of of the Bible, in Revelation chapter three, it says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And that's where it is today. I really believe Jesus is knocking on your door. Jesus is asking to come in. He wants that relationship with you. And today can be the day that begins that. Today can be the day that begins that. And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna close in prayer And I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that statement of faith, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And there's no magic formula of what to say, but I'm just going to guide you in a simple faith prayer that is putting your faith in Jesus and starting that relationship. I'm also going to pray for those of you that have been following Jesus about what it means to have this biblical worldview, what it means to see things differently what it means to embrace the suffering and allow God to transform you through that. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you today. God, we're so thankful for the plan that you put in place. Father, we know there are dozens and hundreds of people who don't know you that today are hearing that knock on the door. And Father, for those who want to put their faith in you, I pray that right now, wherever they are, they would pray a prayer similar to this. Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today, I believe You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And by following you, I'll experience that relationship and fellowship with God again. And I'll spend eternity in his presence. And God, we pray over each person that prayed that prayer. God, Help them share that with somebody else. Somebody they trust, somebody they're close to. Father, even taking that next step of baptism. Father, just lead them and guide them. Father, we're thankful for that. Father, for those that are still wrestling with that decision, I pray, Lord, that life hangs in the balance. Lord, we know there's no guarantee that Tuesday's coming. And I pray there'd be a greater sense of urgency to find that relationship. And God, for those that are believers, God, I pray you would search our heart. 
God, change us. Refine us. Help us to become more like you, Lord. Help us to have an eternal perspective. When things get hard, that we would look up and not in. We would look to you to help us through those. That we would find our source of strength in you. And God, we just give you praise because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.